and ready Gordon and action welcome to series four episode three of this whiskey podcast called whiskey unscripted <laughs> it's so unscripted we didn't even know that was going to be part of Gordon Dundas how are you well, I'm very well. I'm very well. Um, I've, I was at Glen Goyne yesterday. Ah, I yes. was, I've been out and about. We've got the, the whiskey show coming up as well. So lots of things happening. And it maybe even might get to the United States at some point. Mr. Biden has said we may be welcome. Absolutely. I've got my double vax, uh, yep. my double vax certificate sitting right beside me. We're all good to go. So, yeah, we'll see. I mean... Truth. It's great to, again, hear things moving in the right direction. And, um, yeah, all good, busy as ever. As you are, we're all busy. Yep, yep. And that's just for you've never listened to the podcast before. We are in the ambassadorial wing of the whiskey industry. Wing. And that I like has that. Been wing. Thank the you ambassadorial much. east wing. <laughs> that has been dormant for a while. But now you've just mentioned tantalizingly about whiskey, the Whiskey Live show in London. The Whiskey Show, yes. Yeah. So this is the, the Whiskey Show. Well, this feeds into a little bit of a bit of latest news that oh, we've got. So I can combine a couple of things together. Right. Okay. The Whiskey Show in London is probably the UK's premier whiskey show. Three day event, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, Old Billingsgate Market, I think it is in yep. not East London, but pretty much the city of London. Um, just uh just near Tower Bridge. And um it's uh Great show, great show, but obviously last year was all online. Um, so this year it's uh, a live show with all the sort of, you know, protocols in place, and it's great to great to to see it back. Now this show is run by the Whiskey Exchange, um, ah. which is hey, uh, a, huge, a huge international retailer, UK retailer. I mean, a great story started by a couple of brothers, uh, the, Sikinder and his brother, um it, from a from a small shop in the you know in in london uh, and developed in probably 25 years something like that into a huge global influence in the whiskey industry and and retailer and everything and um it's a fabulous story and they, they've just sold it to perna ricard which is quite an interesting sort of deal i think because it's always been a you know, a retailer that deals with so many brands and now it's owned by a particular brand. So that, that, or brand owner. We always have you to look at the news and you've segued lovely into that whiskey show too. And that really is, we're now recording sort of last, almost the last week in September, 2021. And I've just, there's nothing else in the news apart from we'll talk about can't do cigar malt, but that is the big story. And I've read groundbreaking, a world first, Dot, 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 except, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of journalists, very excited by it, Gordon. Could you put into context why it's such a big deal, why it's groundbreaking, and why it is a world first? Well, Pernod Ricard, I think, are the second largest brand owner, I think. I don't know how many distilleries they've got in Scotland, but they've got quite a few. Um, the big one being Glenlivet. They've got Glenlivet. They own Chivas as the brand. They have... Um, well, I mean, they've got quite a lot of other distilleries. One very near, uh, one very near Tamdu as well. That's uh, that's um, I've completely forgotten its name. Um, uh, it's it's the one that sits on the site of Imperial, and it's oh, um, Dalmunich. is a Perna Ricard, correct? Thank you very much, oh, Dalmunich. Um, Tormore, which when you drive into yeah. Speyside, is the one with the beautiful. Um, hedges and everything, the, the Topuri, I think it is, uh, uh, beautiful distillery. And then there's a whole load of other distilleries. Scapa, for example, on Orkney, which is probably the the, the, the very unfamous um, sort of cousin of Highland Park. But the one thing that, and they've got distilleries all over Scotland, but they don't actually have one on Isla. So uh, I don't know what that's about, but, you know, certainly a big, big producer. And so, you know, if you think about the Whiskey Exchange, an international business that deals with all the brands from Diageo to the smallest producers in Scotland, being owned by Perna Ricard will change that dynamic completely. Um, it's the first and time interesting. A producers bought a retailer of that size. Uh, I think so. Yeah, I think the, that's according to some much. of the, I've been looking at all the news yeah, reports. Yeah, yeah really I think that's is. probably fair. So Which look, case, it's yeah, it's 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 a big thing. It's a big move for Perna Ricard. Apparently, it's all about their e-com side of things and 
you know, they can, you know, the way they get to consumers as well uh, around the world. So, yeah, look, really, really interesting. And, you know, the other thing, of course, Pono Ricard owns a lot of their distribution around the world. So they, you know, they distribute themselves for want of a better phrase. So in the UK, Pono Ricard UK distributes Pono Ricard whiskies uh, and products. So um, their direct to consumer element is 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 important to them uh, around the world as well because they're they're effectively feeding into their own network, as it were. So yeah, um, it, it's a very interesting uh, big acquisition, big I think yes. would be the word for uh, Pono Records. So. And my next question, just before we leave this topic, is there going to be more of this? Is this the start of producers going after retailers and? under one roof well i think the point is if you look at a lot of what this pandemic has shown is a few things the way people buy whiskey has changed a little bit because of this and it may move back but it has changed a little bit um and um that's probably a little bit behind this i think the other thing is that you know people want to buy whiskey from uh you know a trusted source so that could be your spec your fantastic specialist retailers who we deal yeah. with around the uk who have knowledge and ability to guide you in a particular way uh, to a particular whiskey i'm talking about a customer facing element here um and then you have other types of retail like amazon and things which is much more price based um uh and and supermarkets is the you know it, the point is i think from a single malt perspective the trusted source is what people are looking for, particularly when you're spending a little bit more money. Um, and I think from um, from from certainly a Glengoyne perspective and, and Tamdu, for example, that's very much our outlet is is really saying to people, you know, go to your specialist retailer, go to your 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 yeah. master of malt or your whiskey exchange. Now that they're owned by Pona Ricard, we'll see how that changes. But uh, it's I a know. very interesting and and is it a good thing? I don't actually know. I don't know if it's a good thing. I'm not very sure at the moment. But well, when I when I read the story, good. Gordon, it was like um, these stories of Netflix buying the cinema chains or Disney buying Odeon. Yeah. It's the same, yeah. you know, the producers create, uh, trying to get hold of the distribution networks and that yeah. still might happen. You know, yeah. and is that a good thing? I don't know either. But that's what, when I was reading it, that's what it, Sprung to my thought. Yeah, when you're when you're a big producer of whiskey, you generally have a lot of whiskey that you want to get out to market. If you can improve those distribution areas, improve that route to consumer, which is what this is about, um, then um, that's good. And if you've got the money to burn, great. That's a big big story, Gordon. We've got other stories to get onto, but before we even do that, Mm, what are you drinking? Have you got nothing to hand? Well. uh, I do actually have something to hand. I was, uh, I was, um, and well, we can come on to this. I mean, it's all like it's all been scripted, but it really hasn't. I had a little sample of the cigar malt, um, which we launched not last oh. week, and uh, I just thought I'd, uh, I'd have a little sample of that cigar malt, which I'm currently having a, a little, little, oh. little nose of, which is just fabulous. My, 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 my second question is: Did you bring any down? Uh, I did, yes. Uh, I've got a little sample for you. Don't you worry. I'm always looking after you. I'll make sure I get a sample to you. Uh, I've got a little sample here. We'll go on to that story in just a second, Gordon, because we've got to talk more about this cigar malt, because that's another. When I was looking over my news, that popped up in the news feed. Tamdu leases cigar malt. But I was given by a very nice friend of mine, uh, Glenn Farkless, 25. Oh, very nice. I'm pouring it right now. And the first thing that... um, um, I'm noticing, Gordon, compared to, say, the Glengoyne 25, is how, you know, quite light yeah, in colour it is. Yeah. not a bad thing, but it's much lighter in colour, which... Yeah, yeah, the, yeah that, I don't know the cast makeup of Glengoyne oh. 20... Uh, Glen, Glen Farkless, sorry, 25. But I'm sure there's a bit of refill in there. I don't know if there's, yeah. uh, you know, probably refill, I don't know, American and European oak, I'm not sure, but from what... And I haven't tasted it for about five years, but it's a really good whiskey, I believe. Oh, that's a... A lovely whiskey. Now, I've mentioned it before, Glen Farkless. Again, family-owned, up in Speyside, Valley of the Green Grass, I believe. This is 43% ABV, mm-hmm. and it's where I started the Dramathon from. Mm. And it was a marathon that goes around Speyside. Mm-hmm. I only did the mm-hmm. half marathon, mm-hmm. but you get inside to see the lovely wood panelling. If you ever get Beautiful. a chance to go up to Speyside. Oh, it's lovely. Lovely wood panelling from the 
a ship, the Empress of India or something, I think it's called. Yeah, yeah. They, they, um, they... Wonderful. And I managed to persuade the barman uh, to give him a small dram. You could see mm. the fear in my eyes. And he says, no, I'm not allowed to. And I said, please, I'm about to run a half marathon. I come from Ian Mc... Anyway, he gave me a small uh, dram. So I've got lots of lovely memories of Glenn Farkless and the 25 is lovely vanillas and, and lovely sweet floral notes there. Lovely. Absolutely delicious. Oh, no, absolutely. I'm sure. And, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, the, when you go to Glen Farkless, it's a fabulously, they're great people, fabulous, uh, family run, you know, business. Yeah. And actually we have interlinked businesses together as well. Um, but, um, it'll be interesting. I'm, I've not been up that way. Well, I mean, it's not far from Tamdu, but obviously water supply from Ben Rinnes. Yes, there's not yes. been a lot of rain up there, so I'm 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 wondering how their water supply is getting on. Anybody knows? Let us know. Let us know. But I'm, I hope they're doing well. And uh, I came uh, across cheers, a lovely, cheers to the Grant family. Oh, cheers to the Grant family! I came across a lovely bit of audio from the 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 father of the current uh, chairman, uh, old, old Mister Grant. I think it must have been from the seventies, talking about the railways at Speyside and how the guys in the old days would uh, on the railway line the, the workers would um, drill into ask of barrels that were heading south and uh -huh. fill, it, fill a hot water bottle. Put the water bottle uh -huh. back on, fill, bung the hole up again, and then chuck the water bottle out the trains. It's a wonderful story from Mr. Grant. Oh, fabulous, talking fabulous. about the, the old smuggling days. Fabulous. So, and, and, the other great, and the other great thing, I think everybody pretty much lives on site who works there. So, you know, you know, all these distilleries, as we do at Tam, do have cottages and houses and great, great people up there. So, yeah, I'd love to, love to go and see them. Great, 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 Gordon, we interrupted the cigar malt story uh, with the, the drams, but just um, could you tee up, because I've managed to get some audio from the night, could you tee up um, what the evening was about for those that hadn't gone to Tamdu and enjoyed the Facebook Live, which was a sensational evening last it, week. Well, I mean, it was fabulous. And, uh, you know, we, we, we firstly, for those who are slightly familiar with Tamdu, we don't have a visitor centre. Um, our our sort of entertainment area was always in the uh, warehouses and still is. It's the best place to go and have a, a dram. But we've now got the customs house on the way into the distillery, which we've invested in, in terms of getting that as a nice uh, space to um, do events. So we decided we would sit uh, and, and do this launch event, which included Sandy, of course, uh, myself. We had Neil and Joel. Uh, who are whiskey experts who've been on, you know, been in and around the industry for 10 or 15 years. And we had Jimmy McGee from Hunters, Hunters and Franco, who's a very big Cuban cigar business, very family run business, similar to us in London. Um, so we basically, the four, five of us sat around, talked about whiskey, talked about the similarities of cigar and whiskey, and um, then tasted the cigar malt. And then we, had the cigar right side, and it was fabulous. Fabulous. And, and and this is unlike Whiskey Unscripted. I'm going to attempt this. And here, he says, teeing up, is a small clip of you all talking. Let's see if this works, Gordon. Fingers crossed. I think actually what happens is people within the factory, I don't think it's like one person has to smoke 20 cigars a day. <laughs> I think you have different people within the factory that will be trained up. You've got a certain palette. Yeah, it's like a nosing like panel for whiskey. Yeah. And so if the, if the tasting panel agrees that the blend is on point for, mm -hmm. the, for, the, for the brand, that's how I mean. That's how the process goes from the bales of tobacco into eventually being sorted into piles of tobacco of the Lijero, Seco Balado, Capote and Capo binder and, and, and wrapper. They will then be given to the tostadores or the cigar rollers, mm -hmm. and they, you know they'll be given enough to make a hundred cigars a day with that blend. And often the, the rollers aren't aware of which brand they're making because within those factories well, they're making. Yes. Brands okay. for lot they make within these large factories, they'll be making for lots of different cigar mm. brands, and a lot of the brands have the same sizes. Okay, yeah. it's very similar to those. It isn't very interesting. interesting isn't the blending it? and the bottling yeah. holes and things like that. Sandy, we, we were talking earlier about the, the two different main cask types that go into Tamdu. So that's the American oak casks, refill and first fill, mm. and then uh, obviously the uh, European oak. And we pulled some in the warehouse earlier distinctly different colours, mm. much darker from the European oak, much lighter well, I mean, from the, the American oak. I mean, the, so there you go. Distinctly, distinctly different colours, distinctly yeah. different flavours, 
I mean, it, it allows us to, to develop things like the, the, the 15 that Jimmy's drinking, actually. Um, and again, we've got a master blender, John, John Glass down yeah, in Boxburn, yeah. our, our head office, and he's doing all that hard work, yeah. um, mixing those in different ratios, different ratios of the first fills, different ratios of the refills, and then putting that up here, and then it's, it's me that's then doing the, the piece that says, yes, we're happy for that to be released as... The taster. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I'm, yes. doing, I'm doing the tasting. The catador. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. I think I'll get that in my business card. It sounds a bit more, <laughs> more glamorous, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. You know, more glamorous than distillery manager. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, it's, it's so, you know, the synergy is just there, right? All the yep. way through this all whole process. Through. And, the, and yeah. in terms of that, so we, we've got this incredible... That was really, uh, yeah. really a fascinating discussion. Matt Gordon, an exclusive... You actually chatted to them during the day for Whiskey Unscripted. I did. So, well, I mean, it was a tough, tough day. We were in the in the warehouses with Sandy discovering the <laughs> real important parts of Tamdu, not the, the parts everybody gets to see. No, we were just opening a few casks, which was always oh, pleasurable. Yeah. And if you ever <laughs> are lucky one. enough, if you ever lucky enough to get a Sandy tour of the distillery, uh, which is not easy to do because we, you know, we it's not something we do tours of so generally it's for, you can sign a cask and things like that so um it was great um and um the the whole thing was great and i think um yeah not just nice to get people's sort of thoughts when we were in the warehouses so let's hear from them <laughs> so i'm with uh, i'm with a motley crew here in the warehouse at uh, tamdi we've got obviously sandy mcintyre uh, we've got neil and uh, we've got joel no, and we've got <laughs> no i know uh, I've got no. Jim now, Jimmy. We've got Jimmy from Hunters and Franco. Jimmy, this is your first distillery tour, is it not? <laughs> it is. I, I dressed up for it. <laughs> you did. You did. You did. You did. You did. You did. And um, now you whiskey tick all done. I, I mean, I think I've already taken the master blender's job, the yeah. distillery manager's job, and I just need to find someone to do my job. I think. <laughs> so, so we're gathered here just ahead of a, ta uh, a tasting for the cigar malt, Sandy. The cigar malt uh, first fill Oloroso. Great launch European. last week, hugely, hugely European. successful. We're doing a little live thing tonight. Proud of that product? Yeah, sold out. We released 150 bottles, sold out in a week. Another time do is spectacular. Um, hopefully it becomes one of our stalwarts annually, perhaps a cigar malt every year. Although not a huge cigar smoker yourself. Not a cigar smoker at all. So yeah. it was, a, it was a, yeah. yet to, perhaps yet to, tonight <laughs> still to come. So we'll see what happens. Who knows? <laughs> and we've got uh, Joel and uh, and Neil. Hi guys, how Hello. are you? How are you Very doing? Good, right? Very good. good to see you. I'm just going to go like that. This is all. Oh, I'm just doing it like this. <laughs> no, it's just to get <laughs> just to get and, Joel smiling. <laughs> exactly. And how are you and guys? Looking the... forward to tonight. You're looking forward to tonight. <laughs> I tell you, I can't wait. And this has been a real treat just to see the very difference of casks here and to see how these come together. Yeah. What a treat it's going to be with that uh, cigar. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Brilliant. Well, um, and, and just not to forget, we've got Mr. Weir here, brand director for Tamdu. Thank you. Um, Ian, generally, you must be very happy how Tamdu's going. Generally, absolutely delighted. Tamdu is uh, ahead of schedule. It's doing fantastically well. Um, yeah. A lot of it down, as we were saying, to this great wood, great cast, and great support by uh, experts like yourself. So let's keep it going. Fabulous. Um, well, I'm having a great time in a warehouse <laughs> on a Wednesday afternoon, so uh, back to the studio. What that says to me, Gordon, is how you look very, dare I say, sober and together when you actually did the recording. And yet he spent this part of an hour or two hours with Sandy in that warehouse with the lads. <laughs> Professionals, Gordon. Professionals. <laughs> It was great, uh, great, great day. Great, great. And, and a great whiskey and sold out really quickly, but just it is available around the world. Um, but a wonderful whiskey and uh, really, really good. All good. Yeah, yeah. Just a epitome of sherry Casper whiskey. Gordon. Before we go on as well, another little bit of news. Um, and I was up at on Speyside in at Roth, Roth's Glen, which is the new house. <sighs> that has been done up by Whiskey Magazine, effectively the owners of Whiskey Magazine up there who've done it up. We were there, a whole load of people were there from the whiskey industry. And it's one of these beautiful houses up in, up in Rothes where you can rent rooms and use it as a base for events and things. Really, really nice. But I met a couple of friends up there, Paul Dempsey from Spey, uh, met the Urquits, met Pete Curry from uh, loads of people. And, 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 Paul turned around to me halfway through and he goes, you know, what I've really missed is that din of people speaking in the background when you're at an event. And I'm like, that's a really, really good point. So yes. well spotted, Paul, and, and, and uh, great to see Paul and so many other people at that event. Mitch, Mitch as well, 
who oh, Mitch. Uh, Kilkerran Mitch. Mitch. Sorry, no, not Kilkerran Mitch. Oh no, no, no Mitch. Uh, Mitch Beshard. So ah. um, we had we, we met him from um, uh, and he doesn't he does his own podcast as well. So I think Get we should do a podcast together. Get him on. Anyway, right. oh that was oh, great. What a lovely shindig that was up there, and that's I've, I've been on the website. Looks uh, utterly amazing as well. And I suppose to throw in what we've been up to, we also went along to the Johnny Walker experience, which if you listened to this podcast, it opened up early September and it's a multi-million pounds experience set in the west end of Princess Street, which was the old Fraser's building, which mm. if you come from Edinburgh, and I um, used to have, my brother's been there for years, that was the street corner that you met uh, your date for the night. I thought you were say something woman, else. You got on the number 18 bus, whatever it was, going down Lothian Road. And if you didn't like the look of your date, you ducked down and kept on the bus and kept going. Ah. So that's local knowledge. So that was the date corner. It's now Johnny Walker experience with a and wonderful... It, yeah, and, and for those who are on YouTube watching Whiskey Unscripted's little video ditties that we put on YouTube, you'll we'll have noticed that even a couple of weeks, maybe about a month ago, Gordon and I were just wondering when somebody was going to open something like that, weren't we? <laughs> yes, you have to. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, no, really, really good. I think what's great about it, and this is really important to say, it's a great brand experience. You're not going to come away from there going, I know everything about whiskey. That's the key point. But you're going to have a great day. You're going to drink great drinks. And, 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 you know, if you want to get a little bit more of that whiskey into the whiskey knowledge per se, the Scotch whiskey experience is fabulous. And we had yeah. Julian co on the, on the show and you could do both of them in one day and you'd have a great overall experience and then go and have a dram in Ishkabe, for example. So um, there's a whole myriad of, you know options but a lot of people i think it they're two very distinctively different experiences and uh the scotch whiskey experience does a really good job in terms yes. of knowledge and flavors and pan industry and johnny walker does a very good experience about funny enough johnny walker, johnny walker. So, there uh, we go. And it's, it's uh, wonderful but what it said to me gordon is that's a multi-million pound investment into what you might call immersiveness experientiality is that the right words uh, and being an experiential ambassador, it really interests me. I see Glenn Livett have just finished a massive refurb of their distillery mm. car, do the same. And it just seems to be a trend in the industry. So that mm. got me thinking, Gordon. I thought, who could we speak to that could talk about this new trend? Because you've spotted it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's always been there, but it's really now been invested heavily into yeah. that. Would that be fair? Yeah, yeah. Oh, hugely. And look... We're all about experience, particularly after the last 18 months. You know, we've all been sat at home and not been experiencing things. And I think there's a real shift in the world at the moment in terms of, you know, probably 10, 15 years ago, people were more materialistic. They were like, I want to have a new car. I want to have the best phone. I want to have the... I think people have had enough of that now. They're a bit like, my car gets me from A to B. My phone works and I'm fine. I, you know, I want to go and have a great experience whether that's whiskey whether that's a holiday whatever it may be and i generally think that that's only going to be further uh, enhanced by what we've all been through yeah i think that's a great jumping off point to speak to jason milne who's the creative director of contagious who are who this is their world um, and he is a cutting edge working at McAllen right now listen let's say uh, let's go and speak to to jason to get more into this yeah uh, let's Let's see if he's there. I'm and, I'm, and I'm hoping if I hold my aerial on, on top of the roof, we might be able to tune in and get Jason Milne, the creative director of Contagious. Jason, how are you? I'm not bad, Gordon. How are you? Good to be here. Thanks for the invite. And have you met Gordon Dundas before? We, I've met you both in, in person and now uh, in, yeah. in the virtual world as well. So, yeah. I know. Well, thank, thanks for coming on, Jason. And just for those who don't oh. know, can you just give us a quick summary of what you do and what Contagious do? Well, we are experts in design for the drinks industry. So we will cover anything from uh, brand strategy through to uh, brand communications, packaging, digital, environments, retail design, experience design, right the way through from top to bottom. And we do it about 90% of our work is in drinks and about 25% of our work is in the States now. So um, we're kind of all over the world um, doing that sort of stuff. We're based in Edinburgh. Most of us are in Edinburgh. I'm in Glasgow today. You know, kind of, and actually, one of the good things about lockdown is we've now got kind of permanent members of staff down south and kind of, 
even Helensborough, some of our... our There's a place. I'm from Helensborough. Wonderful. Yeah. I've obviously picked make it a bad place, before. Jason. It doesn't make it a bad place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fabulous. Uh, and it, we're just talking about the, the Johnny Walker experience, the Scottish whiskey uh, experience. Is it right to say that more so than ever now, this immersiveness, this desire for experientiality, is it, is it a real trend? Are we on to something quite different from the past? Yeah, uh, Gordon, it, it definitely is, but it, it, it's not a new trend. It's a it's a trend that's been coming for quite a long time. You know, I've spoken to you in the past, Gordon, and my I started my career as a retail designer down in London. We did a lot of work for the Arcadia Group and Tesco and people like that. And we noticed this is this is a little bit of a long story. Stop me if I'm boring you, but um, I noticed that even then, I think pre kind of experiential. Uh, kind of um, sort of uh, tours, etc. Uh, Tesco and Marks and Spencer started to do things like, "Hey, this fish is from here," or you know, it's been sourced. So they started to talk about provenance, uh, and also kind of people like like Gap would also start to uh, uh, you know have organic cotton and be aligned to like AIDS Foundation and things like that. So that was kind of coming, and that was kind of that was kind of that's where it kind of started. Where people were actually remember the early nineties. This was the boom of kind of big shed retail and big. You know, there was like yeah. massive Tesco's and it was amazing. Uh, but I think, and then there was kind of Topshop that kind of ruled the world and Primark and everything all came along. All, all levels were kind of expanding. So people would, I think it's a bit of an antidote to that or uh, people uh, started to want to know more about what the products were like, where they'd come from and all those sorts of things. Those, those kind of things, those trends started about then. Then not long after that, the a kind of bigger separation occurred, which was the internet, us being able to get smartphones, be able to buy stuff and we're sitting on the toilet, that sort of stuff. Um, so basically the internet became where you go to just buy stuff. Yeah. Uh, and and that, that became, that, that made that separation even more pronounced. So not only were pe- people, if people were interested in where things came from, they would tend to think, well, I'll maybe just go to the place you know, where I can buy it, and that would be the shop, you know, et cetera. You know, and we started to see retailers like Lush, you know, who would start to kind of say, you know, Lush are a great experience, but they, they would talk about their product. Mm-hmm. Like I was in there not so long ago with my daughter, and they kind of, they said, oh, Magdalena, come in, uh, look at this bath ball. It goes in the water. It's a bit of an experience for her. It starts to mm-hmm. fizz up. And then they would have a story for me that's kind of said, you know, there's no plastic in this. You know, we're the only company that doesn't have any plastic. So straight away, that's an yeah. experiential thing. There's a story for both of us. So mm-hmm. yeah. um, whereas, whereas still online, you're just buying bits of rope and everything, whereas yeah. the high street, you're, you're starting to have more experiences. People are more interested in the provenance and people are more, ex- not only just provenance, but I think brands were then required to prove it, not just stick a poster on the wall, yeah, and I think that's where distilleries were already doing. Well, that. I mean, I think I think when you look at the the DNA of whiskey, and you look at what you've just described, and you look at the, you know, the the history of whiskey, the provenance of the the whiskey, where it comes from, how it's made, the process, you can see it, you can touch it, you can you know, you can visit a distillery, you could then what you've all of what you've just said about that building want from provenance and experience just feeds so correctly into that narrative of distilleries, doesn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. And there was a kind of fortuitous thing a few years back. I met up with an old uh, consultant of ours who knows everything about retail. And I was like, well, what's the most interesting thing happening in retail? And he would say this, that, and the other. And he said, what are you up to? And he, and he went, actually, the most interesting thing that's happening in retail is what you guys are doing. Because, you know, unbeknown to us in the kind of drinks industry, exactly what you said there, Gordon, people are already proving it. You know, you're having an experience and you're going to the place where it's made. You've seen it a hundred times. That kind of really convinces people. So that level of understanding and immersive, organic kind of understand and kind of meeting the real people really has made a difference. And you'll see that with the internet going in one direction, the high street, and including distilleries in the high street. Although some of them are quite remote high streets, you know that is that's going to be demanded more and more. And the town centre now, there's more. There's going to be more and more space in there. And that is really where people now demand to have an experience of a, yeah. of a sort. And that really helps with every brand. Yeah. For the drinks industry and for distilleries in particular, how could you pull that down and describe it to the listeners? What immersiveness, and I've talked about Johnny Walker and I've talked about Scottish whiskey, but what tangibly can you do to, to, to give people these experiences? Well, I what think- have you personally done? Well, uh, I can go on to that. I think my analogy always is with this kind of complicated retail stroke brand talk is 
to simplify it, you know, if I went round to any of the Gordon's houses and I got some whiskey and they just said, there's your whiskey, and they just left you in the kitchen and you had a whiskey and that was fine. Uh, probably, I'd imagine it would be a brilliant whiskey, but if you gave me a bit of chat about it, you kind of like, we kind of had a bit of humour, you know, you introduced me, to that, you kind of gave me something I would have along with it. Those things automatically become experiences that you don't get just by having, having a whiskey mm-hmm. there. So if you expand that out and out and out, what everybody in the industry has been thinking is what else can we do? You know, so um, so take the Johnny Walker experience. That's kind of at, at one extreme end of it. It's in a city centre. It's in a tourist city. And they want a mass market of people to go in there and really, really enjoy it. And I really, really enjoyed it. And I came out and I felt very positive about Johnny Walker. And I really did like the experience. But to my mind, that's the sort of thing where it, it could have been Nike Trapers, really. You know, it could have been another brand. It could have been another consumer brand. So that's where you're kind of at an age where it's, it is very much retail. Whereas at the other end, I suppose you have a distillery like the Balvenny, um, which we, we didn't do. And I, I'm not sure we ever would because it's almost perfect. They're very lucky in themselves because they've got every stage of the process. They've got, they've got, a, uh, they've got a cooperage there. They've got uh, a warehouse. They've got the seeping of the, the grains and everything. They've also got a tour guide that's got incredible industry experience yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's kind of, I see those two as being kind of at the opposite ends, really. You know, you, the Balvenie is a 100% genuine experience, untouched by designers' hands, you know, uh, and you're getting everything there. So in between, there's a whole bunch of other experiences, I suppose, where people really are um, really are kind of craving something. So at Glengoyne, for example, we've done about eight projects there. And about 10 years ago, we did a self-fill. And there, there weren't many of them around, but I would say that is almost like the perfect balance of experience and commerce. So... Uh, as you know, self-fill, you can charge a little bit extra. If you've got a customer in there and as soon as you say, you only get this here, their eyes light up and they go straight for it. They can mm. they see the whiskey going in, they get a bit of whiskey in their hands, etc. Mm. That in itself is a, is a kind of classic uh, whiskey experience. You'll see there's one at Johnny Walker, there's one at Balvenny as well. There's most distilleries of it now, I think, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, absolutely. It's a great example of that and, you know, I know you've also, and you're helping us with Rosebank as well, which is a, 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 a very different to Glengoyne, very different to Johnny Walker. It's a, a legend being reborn. And it's amazing how, you know, I, I've seen some of the concepts, but that's something that, again, that experience will be very different for people. Very different. I mean, Glengoyne has got fantastic depth and range of product, whereas Rosebank has got great product from 1993 and before, um, and that you don't, how do you want to talk about that in terms of how does exactly. that relate to the new Rosebank, which doesn't exist yet? So that becomes a much more complicated story. And uh, you have to be a little bit cleverer in terms of how you tell that story and make that experience. I mean, there's an old building and a new building, and so there's an old whiskey and a new whiskey. So there's been a lot of parallels drawn there. Yeah. And then your focus then, because Rosebank, you know, isn't you know there's going to be a beautiful warehouse there but that's the the maturation point of, of rosebank isn't necessarily the most important thing it's talked about being kissed by the cask i think mm. is great so it's it's actually the kind of uh, it's the distillation uh, process that's most important there so we're just really careful with the, with these brands to make sure that we concentrate on the right bit you know so in uh, in, in terms of it's the kind of warm tubs versus the versus the the stills for Rosebank and how those kind of light flavors and dark flavors interplay. Yeah. So we, we we talk about that throughout that whole experience. We make sure the customer knows a bit about that. Now, to that, that what I'm talking about is actually quite a complicated thing to get across, you know, uh, and it's quite advanced, if you like, in terms of whiskey circles. So mm-hmm. it's like, how do you tell people those things? So I suppose we often talk about, you would tell people, three that that sort of message three times in three different ways yeah and then they probably understand at that point or at least 90 yeah. percent of them probably do um and, and that allows you just to have a different conversation the rule also, of three the rule of three yeah. yeah also allows you to and triple distilled as well so um and also allows you to then leave that place and have something to share you know that is you know to share with somebody else i learned that and i learned it at rosebank and nobody else is like that so that in in in, in essence, if you're trying, if you're creating a, a, an experience, it really helps people remember it more. Back to the analogy of coming around to the Gordon's house. You know, if we have a lovely whiskey and you 
you've given me some chocolate with it. And I don't know, we played a game of Twister afterwards. Then there's a great story there for me to go and say, well, I love that experience at Gordon's house. And, uh, and oh, and the whiskey, that, that, that was amazing. And, and, and it just helps people remember, helps people be able to share things. No, you, 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 told, you told me you would never tell people about your chocolate <laughs> twister nights. But there you go, you've blotted it I out. Never, I never realised <laughs> you were, you just don't look like the flexible type. But you know, <laughs> Jason, you had, I think Cardew have a, brought out a new visitor centre, Glenlivet, which I think you've seen already. Mm-hmm. I've brought out one within the last couple of months. I'm yeah. going to McAllen this week. I believe you're doing some work in McAllen. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what, just could you give us a little chat about what you've seen up in Speyside and some of the new stuff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, well, uh, McCallum, we're, we're helping them out with uh, quite a few things there. We've just finished redesigning their, the, the, the retail, so it kind of feels, uh, it feels uh, aligned to their brand, as you know, kind of a, a real premium brand. Yeah. Uh, and then how you uh, interact at, at McCallum, they have an incredible sort of high-tech warehouse there. We've created a, a, a kind of little bar in there so that you can go in and you can pause and really tell a story in there and every single element that you touch should align with with that brand and kind of multiple other other things are happening at that distillery uh, as well so but um i think also glenlivet you're going to go to glenlivet they've got a beautiful new i was just in the reception the other day it's kind of the very kind of high uh, high spec it was the same contractors we used for um uh, McCallan actually that, that built that so that that um that's completely reshaped and there's three cell fills in the, in, in the middle of there, quite an extensive retail yeah. area. But then as you go through, there's more of a kind of interactive point. Yeah, where... a field of barley inside. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. Ah. But interestingly, we're also working at um, Glen Turret just now, and that's the mm. Scotland's oldest working uh, distillery. And as you'll probably know, they're now co-owned by the Leak, the kind of, um, uh, the kind of super premium crystal. Um, and what they've done is they've created a, an incredible... Um, hoping to be kind of Michelin star restaurant, which we had the pleasure of eating at uh, oh. the other week. And that, and that's back to that. It just an, an incredible dining experience, which is kind of constantly very subtly linked back to the whiskey. One of the courses, you know, you get sprayed with a kind of pneumic spirit all over it and all that sort of stuff. Mm. And you, you just have a yeah. wonderful experience. You, uh, mm. All that time with the customer to kind of show how, so how, how they care about super high quality and and every mouthful you kind of think this is kind of almost sponsored by Glen yeah. you know, These yeah. two brands are completely intertwined. Yeah. So that that yeah. sort of thing works incredibly well. And also that I mean again, not too different to the Johnny Walker experience, just a different approach in a different yeah. part of the world. And I think I, I would say, and I've been in this industry for 17, maybe 18 years, I would say the, the level of experience or tour for want of a better word but you know what I mean level of experience when you go to a distillery now is so much further improved than it was even five to ten years ago and I think everybody's understanding that you know people yes they want to sample the whiskey yes they want to see how it's and they want the personalities and they want the people to speak to them and but the overall experience is so important I I, I genuinely think the Scottish whiskey industry has come on leaps and bounds in this area yeah, it genuinely has. And also, it's much easier to seek influence elsewhere. elsewhere. As I said, quite a lot of our, our work is in the States just now. When mm-hmm. we just opened uh, Great Jones Distillery in Manhattan um, last month. Well, you know, the whole discussion through that project is who's going to go to the party? And the answer was none of us, which was great. Of course, you know, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> we, Where's that in Manhattan? Uh, it's a Great Jones. It's in Soho. Oh, right. So cool. Great Jones Street. Um, I'm going so, to seek that um, out. And that's yeah. the first one in Manhattan for something like a hundred years or something. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah, it's the first genuine kind of uh, bourbon uh, being made in Manhattan. Oh, that's so, great yeah. to hear. And great. for that project, that was really interesting when you talk because we we still talk about ourselves as designers because I think that's easy to understand. However, in uh, Great Jones, quite a lot of the influence we had was really what you talked about there. You know, what kind of person greets you at the door? What sort mm. of thing should they wear? Exactly. Yeah. What would the music be like when you come in? And what's the artwork like in the wall? How does that relate to the brand and the area? Uh, and, you know, what, what kind of experiences would these be? And um, how, what kind of things would you sell in retail at that point? 
you know, and what we, I mean, we work with music consultants. We talked to the chefs there about the, their menu and we were influential in there. We were kind of guardians of the brand, if you like. And, uh-huh. and, and we helped them create the brand and the look and feel and the tone of voice of the brand and made sure that run through other, uh, and we worked with other designers over there who designed things. So, but actually our, our learning from Scotch whiskey industry, um, we now bring them over to America, if you like. Uh-huh. You know, and but also being influenced by them and bringing a bit of that back as well. You know, so mm-hmm. the whole thing is so much more accessible and it's demanded now. People, uh, when they go and visit these mm. places, you know, I, I do expect an experience of some sort. And as you say, Gordon, every year it's got to be better and, and better. You know, you see things like Johnny Walker, 190 million quid, and McAllen, you know, 100 and, 140 million for their distillery. You know, mm. uh, architecture. You know, uh, you know these these are big players now, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and people know that and people know that it, it 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 makes sense to do it. It's quite hard to to define. I mean, you will. Have, uh, I know with Glen Goyne and with you guys, all your brands, and our our first hurdle is often convincing the the people who hold the purse strings that this is worth it. Because how do you measure advocacy? Yeah. How do you measure that kind of word of mouth? It's really hard to do. Hugely, and and you know. That's part of my role is advocacy for our business across whiskey advocacy, building those people who go away from Glengoyne or Rosebank and go, that was utterly fabulous. What a great, what a great experience. You need to go and the friends turn up. And that's, that's very simply what advocacy is. And, uh, you know, that's what we want to build. And Glengoyne for, you know, has always had such great reviews, always been, been at the top of its game, but it continues and needs to evolve. And, and we're doing that, which is great. So. Yeah. yeah, no fabulous. You talk all night, but um, I think it'd be quite nice to just finish on what might be the pinnacle of Jason's career. And we will be doing an Instagram Live um, in a few weeks' time concerning the old Cooperage. Could you just explain what's going on there, Jason? Well, you've nailed it right there. Obviously, apart from this moment being the obvious. <laughs> people, uh, he's welcome oh, back. He anyway. says all the right things. He <laughs> says all <laughs> the right things. Uh-huh. Well, you know, to be honest, and I'm not being... Uh, I'm not, uh, trying to blow smoke up, whatever. At the, um, the, um, um, you know, we've worked with Glen Goyne now for 11 years. We started working with you guys roughly when, just when my daughter was born. So we've worked on multiple projects with you. And as you've worked, as you've kind of said, we, we now work on Rosemount and Edinburgh Gin at multiple projects with them as well. So, I mean, Glen Goyne, also, I love the whiskey. Glen Goyne is very close to my heart and my liver. Um, and yeah. so the, the continued <laughs> kind of project that we're doing with you and, um, I think when you talk about uh, when you talk about these types of experience, Gordon, you know you are one of them. You know I think the advancement of using you as an actor and a figurehead and somebody who will actually perform stories and and we're dedicating a space that's kind of built around your types of stories. I think is just as much an advancement as the Johnny Walker experience. It's just done in a different way. I mean, my favourite part of it was the theatrical bit, which oh I don't, no spoilers, but um, you know I think you'll appreciate that as well. You know, uh, but, and, and for those of you who've not met Gordon Dallas, let me tell you, it's an experience. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what <laughs> <I love> it. <laughs> I've often said to people who are kind of starting this journey of, you know, creating a distillery experience, what, what's, the, what's the most important things? And I'll kind of say, well, you know, a Wi-Fi connection, uh, a self-fill, and, you know, if you can get somebody on board like uh, Robert De Niro or, you know, to, to kind of, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's why I thought of you, Gordon, but then I thought, you know, maybe more Meryl Street, you know. Um, <laughs> and, um, I was meant to say, you know, are thing- talking to me? Are you drinking with me? And the other thing that I think has always been key from our perspective at our brands and, and, and actually the other distilleries that I've worked at as well uh, is that the people are very passionate. You can have all of this... You know, but you've got to have passion coming from the person that's taking you on the tour, talking about the brand, because it feeds into that narrative as well. And, you know, so well passioned up people, for want of a phrase, is, is really, really important to the overall experience, of course. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at TripAdvisor reviews, you know, most of the TripAdvisor five star, the difference between most five star and four star TripAdvisor reviews are, is that they will mention a person yeah. or they will single out somebody. Now, yeah. there's only... There's only so much that we can do about that. I mean, we will yeah. write scripts and we'll try to work with you, work mm-hmm. with you guys to kind of get that nailed as much as possible. Creating amazing kind of staff facilities is a big deal too because yeah. you feel, you've got to feel great at your work, all that sort of stuff. So, but yeah. the people there, and that's why I said, you know, uh, you know, Wi-Fi connection and self-felt and just a brilliant, brilliant person to speak to. 
um, will take you so far down the road. You know, right. and then all the other stuff we do are really tools to, to, to help you guys tell your story. Fabulous. That's, that's absolutely brilliant. Jason, that's a brilliant, that's a Thank absolutely you wonderful much. conversation there. Real people enjoyed that. Uh, Jason Milne of Contagious, thank you very much oh, for your before, time. But before you go, Jason, no, we always normally ask, and we forgot because we were so excited that you were on, uh, what whiskey you would normally, normally we have a whiskey while we're doing this. Uh, if one. you could pick, take your pick, it doesn't have to be a, an Ian McLeod whiskey, but what whiskey would you, what's your one you reach for? You like, or do you drink whiskey even? Yeah, I'll give you multiple answers. One, one of mine is the Laphroaig 15. The first, one of the first brands I worked on was uh, Laphroaig. And at that well. time, I was going over to the island and I would be able to pick up the whiskey quite cheaply. And uh, and I would I would love a Laphroaig 15. I'd buy it and we'd just drink it. And now, mm-hmm. you know, you can't get it for, for love nor money. You know, it's about three yeah. a bottle or whatever. I know, so, I know. And that was probably my first love. You know, yeah. uh, it's Lefroy. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm good mates with John Campbell, friend of the show. Still can't get it. Yeah, the formerly young John Campbell. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, anything else? Do you like, so you like the PT ones? or? Yeah, no, and that, not, no I wouldn't. that's probably got the most emotional connection of to course. me because, yeah. you know, I'd never really been to a distillery before that. Mm-hmm. And it was so, you know, that was so visceral, you know, the smell, the seed, oh, and all that yeah. sort, sort of stuff. But I will always tend to, uh, I will tend to recommend uh, Glen Goyne quite a lot. I mean, I've got a great story about, about kind of what we do versus what you do. And I shared it with Stuart and the team. We um, were having this thing in the Devil's Advocate in Edinburgh, me and my colleague kind of saying, right, uh, you um, you buy a whiskey, well, well, you guess this whiskey. And we said to the barman, what's your favourite, what's your favourite whiskey? Uh, and he said, um, oh, it's the Glen Goyne 21-year-old. And I was like, oh, right, that's interesting. I wonder why. And he said, well, you know, I went there and the guy that took me on the tour, he had actually been to Spain and he'd seen the trees and he understood all this sort of stuff. Um, and he uh, was passionate about that. They have the slowest distillation in the in, in the world. They really take care of all this. And basically he recited the script that I had been working on with you guys you know, collectively <laughs> for the last sort of eight to 10 years or whatever. Yeah. Well, that's brilliant. And it was like, it was the easiest expenses I ever had to get signed off was there. <laughs> and, and there's an advocate right there. So right, yeah, there you go. absolutely. Yeah. Fabulous. So, Jason, thank you very much. Gordon, that's a fascinating uh, discussion there. And huh. I have, you know, thought so often that we walk into supermarkets and knows a psychological battle being fought for the money I'm spending. I know I lose it all the time. So it's amazing how these retail outfits can can part you with your money just through colours, sights, sounds, yeah, and all that psychological just, stuff. I, th- I think it's just, yes, ultimately great, but it's giving the person the experience that when they leave, they're very happy with the whole situation. And I think if you look at retail and you look at the successful retailers, uh, I'm talking high street retailers, if you look at a lot of the ones that have failed recently, they haven't evolved. They haven't right. changed, you know, the Debenhams of this world or the, you know, whatever. They're the same as they were 20 years ago. And and we've moved on and we need to give people a different experience. That's where you're seeing in whiskey the use of experience, things like that. And the reason that you're you're seeing the way that you engage a customer through whiskey is very different to what it was 10, 15 years ago. And I think that's really, really important. But yeah. it's not just, and, and that's why I have this wonderful team of experiential ambassadors, which includes, of course, you, Mr. Dallas. But we have a guest, another guest. What? We have Mr. King Scott. Philip, how Hello. are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Well, I mean, firstly, uh, I'm fine. I, I'm good, yes. <laughs> yes, Gordon, very good. I, Gordon's well. Well, so I, if, I, you know, something in my throat, Gordon. I've just got something sticking in my throat. It's three letters, G, I, and N. <laughs> Yes, Philip, can you tell everybody on Whiskey Unscripted what you do? Um, yes, I am the uh, experiential ambassador, um, the gin experiential ambassador for Ian McLeod Distillers, but our well, most well-known gin is Edinburgh Gin. It is indeed, and a, and a class-leading gin it is. I do, I, mm-hmm. so let me just say, I do enjoy a gin and tonic, Gordon. Hey, <laughs> good. Okay. Well, let you you like a gin and tonic, Gordon? I do like a gin and tonic. I, I also love highball high first, but gin and tonic. Um, I, I also yeah. love a Negroni. Uh, yeah. Oh, love a Negroni. It's almost yeah. my favourite drink. Um, but I did once make a Negroni with a sherry cast tamdu. Ooh, that's well, I beautiful. Got, I have got um, 
I did a bit of research and we'll get on to speak to Philip in a second and join in with this one. But I was on Drinks International and they have just released their 2021 50 of the world's most successful or favourite cocktails. And they've sampled 100 barmen throughout the world and compiled a list of 50. Now, um, let me go to Gordon first. Gordon, what out of the 50 cocktails, do you think that there's more gin cocktails or more whiskey cocktails? Oh, I've got to go with whiskey. Oh, sorry. I counted 11 to gin and 70 whiskey uh, out of the ones that were mentioned. What about the remaining uh, 32? What are they made Kila, with? rum, yeah. vodka. Philip, out of those 50 world best cocktails, what do you think is number one? A gin cocktail or a whiskey cocktail? See, I would have to say it's got to be a gin cocktail. Is it something like a gin and tonic? I don't really quite ask a, a gin and tonic as a cocktail. I've oh, seen no. it on cocktail menus. Oh no, Philip. For the last seven years, it's an old-fashioned. Whiskey is for the last seven years, Drinks International. You can check it out on the website. So <laughs> but that brings in this old argument, gin versus whiskey. Um mm-hmm. discuss. Um has it always been thus, Philip? Has it always been a competition between whiskey and gin? And before we go any further, Philip. What are you drinking? Oh, well, I, as is tradition, I've got a dram. Is, oh, so, What dram have you got? Ah, well, I thought if I hold it up to the camera, I'll tell you it's, it's only five years old. It's been in a bourbon cask for those five years. I don't know. Just using your eyes. Mm-hmm. Quite malty. Mm-hmm. Got quite a bit of spice to it. Any guesses? Mm-hmm. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> That could be a lot of whiskeys. Well, in actual fact, I'm not drinking a whiskey. I'm drinking a gin. Hey! Oh, oh he's pulled the wool over. So he has. Well, I'll get you oh. and your little dog. There you go. Actually, I'm wrong. It's eight years old. In a eight eight years, years old. Barrel Very so, nice. Uh, yeah, it's a Belgian Yeneva. And it nice. is, it's gin, but it's kind of gin meets whiskey so um yeah i thought it'd come in at a different angle and just kind of prove the fact that gin is not always what people think it is and also no it isn't you're kind of the the thing is with whiskey everybody's used to drinking whiskey neat and i suppose the work of two esteemed gentlemen like yourselves is that you're trying to educate people and go no look you can put it in cocktails you can mix it with things as well Mm -hmm. whereas i'm kind of doing a little bit of the opposite Everybody was already mixing it. I'm saying let's just separate it out first and let's get to grips with the spirit itself and yep. and realise how good that actually is. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I suppose if you go back in history, uh, whiskey was not always what we think of as whiskey today. Uh, whiskey in the and I'll get recipes from the 1520s, 1540s, um, mixed with herbs from your garden, um, and it was really ushkaba. Um, as opposed to ushke, which was the clear stuff. So mm-hmm. even in the early stages, there was stuff that had been um, mixed with other herbs, like well, early gins. Well, even some of the whiskies today, tomatin, I believe, is Gaelic for hill of the juniper. Um, so there is a kind of, when we get into that early kind of more muddied history of, of scotch and other distilled spirits, you could argue that actually the earliest version of the scotch that was being made in Scotland was actually closer to gin. It probably would have had herbs and things in there. They perhaps might have even heated their stills using juniper because juniper wood gives off really minimal smoke. And if you don't want the exciseman to see you, then you're going to use juniper wood to heat the still. And why not shove a few of the berries in there as well? Add a bit of flavour to the stuff you're distilling. Right. So, you know, at some point in the history, the forks diverged, but certainly there's more that brings it together in the early part Mr. of the history. Mr. Dundas not look convinced. No, 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 I am. I'm pulling your leg. I, I, I thoroughly am engrossed in how gin is made as well. It's certainly a very interesting product. But ultimately, we know gin is much more instantaneous than whiskey uh, by its nature. Yeah. Um, and that's why a lot of distilleries, modern distilleries, new distilleries produce a gin because it helps with the income, shall we put it that way, um, while uh, waiting for their maybe longer term uh, whiskey to mature. Yes. And on that, 
And on that note, as we almost get to the finale of Whiskey Unscripted, Season 4, Episode 3, how would you both like to take part in the Whiskey versus Gin Challenge? Yes, <laughs> yes. Get the rounds of a you know, get the special effects. Um, <laughs> okay. I don't have, a, don't have a coin. First or second, Philip. Can I just say something? Can I just say something, Philip? I'm not holding out a lot of hope for you with your gin on a whiskey podcast, but you never know. <laughs> Philip, you're our guest. Would you like to go first or second, my love? Um, I'll go second. Second. Ooh, okay. Second. Gordon, just as you said, um, lots of whiskey distilleries are producing gin. So, yes. you know, it's not like they're two different families, sometimes okay, from the yeah. same family. Just tell me the distillery. Now, this gin is mm. called Kirsty's Gin. Ah. Uh, what? They also produce a vodka called Arbicky. Arbicky. Arbicky and Angus. Um, you got the easy one. the correct answer. <laughs> Just a few words on the distilleries, if you may, Gordon. Arbicky, what, what, what do you family know about run, them? Family yeah. run business by the Stirlings. I actually met Ian Sterling at the event I was talking about earlier at Rothes Glen. Um, all about grain to glass, so the whole process. Um, really nice people. Uh, done the rye whiskey, I think, that's been quite interesting. So, yeah, no, great, very good. Absolutely. A huge... Um, vast knowledge you've got there, Gordon, meeting the Stirlings there. But the, the article I, I'm getting all this information is Becky Paskins from scotchwhiskey.com. So oh. not Googling it. So well done, Becky. Thank you very much. But she said in that article, it may have changed. They're not releasing their single malt until age 14, 18 and 21. Well, which will like start releasing 2029. 20, so our Whiskey. Okay. Yeah, Philip King Scott's in the gin corner, the EG corner. <laughs> uh, the gin is called Red Door. Sounds like one or two dodgy videos I've may have watched in the past, but the, the the gin's called Red Door. What famous Scottish distillery is releasing that gin? Oh, I wish I'd gone first now. Oh, you know it as well, don't you, Gordon? I do. Oh. Yes, so we're recording this in Zoom. Most of it's going to go on audio, but we'll put wee clips on on YouTube. But I can see Gordon's hands in the air. <laughs> Philip, do you want I to give us a I'll say, I'll say that Virgin still is named Peggy after the wife of George. Oh, that doesn't help me at all. <laughs> you have to pass um, on. I, I, I mean, I could make a, a wild what? stab in the dark and say Glen Morangy or something like that. But I'm probably oh, Philip. <laughs> Philip, you've got it wrong. Uh, Gordon. <laughs> <laughs> That's so mean. <laughs> um. Gordon McPhail, Ben Romach. Correct, Ben Romach. Oh, and uh, wow. George is the legendary George Urquhart, the second generation of the Urquharts, um, released the Connoisseur series in 1968, called by many the father of single malt, and his wife is Peggy, and that's the gin still named after him, Gordon. And a little bit more news, they've just released an 80-year-old whiskey, have they not, Gordon? Yes. Talking about I, I think it's the oldest proprietary bottle of whiskey ever released. And I'm not sure, I, I might have heard this correctly or incorrectly, but they're not pricing it yet. They're going to price it after, I think, one of them goes on auction or something like that. I'm not right, sure. Okay. But brilliant. But the great oldest whiskies. Yeah, nice, well, great well, people. Well, that smoke. So these, these quizzes are good for talking about the distillery, but Ben Romer, um unusually a smoky side. Yeah, no, very nice. Very, very, they, they really, really love Small, small distillery, red chimney. Um, very nice. Um, okay. Fantastic. Um, Philip, you're going to really regret going first. I know. Because the third... I, he's gone third, second. He's gone second. I've gone second. It's question three. I can't actually think. You're going to re regret going second because the third question is, uh, the, the, the gin is called The Botanist. Gordon oh, Dundas. Um, oh, <laughs> got all the uh, easy ones. <laughs> no, that's just a... That's just a Brucladi on Isla. Correct. <laughs> um, made in an old Loman still named Ugly Betty. It was rescued from the demolished Inverleven distillery, 46 ABV, uh, the first uh, and at a moment only gin on Isla. And a quick shout out to my friend Jen, who is their global brand manager. Right. Hello, Jen. Uh, yeah. McClady, discuss. 30 seconds, Gordon, anything? Fabulous. I, I think McClady is a great company, great business. Um, I think Botanist is a great gin. I think Philip would agree. Yeah. Um, Interesting initials on the bottle. If you see them on the front, just look out for that. Um, you'll see what I mean. Um, but uh, great, great product and uh, lovely people, as okay. most people are in this industry. Yeah. 
Three nil. Philip's getting less lovely because he's not. He's not enjoying this. Uh, three nil. Two. Oh yeah. Three nil. Right, he's, yeah. <laughs> he's got Abiki. He got Ben Romick. He's now got Paddy. Oh. And back to you, Philip. Uh, Gordon's okay. Tankery. What distillery is Gordon's Tankery made at? Oh well, that's made at Cameron Bridge. Oh yes, yes, okay. it is. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> Cameron oh, Bridge. <laughs> I think it's Europe's largest distillery. I don't know if it still is. The Cameron Bridge, a massive, a massive, massive. Uh, operation. Yeah, there. the whole thing is massive. Yeah, yeah, like the warehouses and everything. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, owned by Diageo, of course. Um, and one of the footnotes is that's when they closed their offices and business in Kilmarnock, that sort of moved up to Cameron Bridge, I, I believe. So uh, I many can, people. I can tell you a tankery fact. Um, one of the stills that they distill tankery on is called Old Tom, and it's the oldest continuous working still in in either the UK or the world. I think it's been distilling since the mid 18th century. Oh, love that, love that! So Old Tom had uh, Old Peggy, and we had um, a Ugly Betty. So yeah, people like naming their gin stills. Gordon, back to you. I've taken out a word. This is. Um, Thompson's Brothers Experimental Batch. That's the name of the what? gin. Thompson Brothers. There's the clue. Experimental Batch. What's the distillery? The Thompson Brothers weren't by any chance twins, were they? Are you thinking of Tintin? No, I'm thinking uh, of the Thompson Twins. twins. Um, <laughs> uh, Thompson what? Brothers. Um, I hold on, actually. Yes, yes, because I know we've talked, I think we've mentioned them previously on the... Uh, God. Quite recently, they've just released a three-year-old. I believe it's just, just, just uh, a new distillery. I'm going to give three seconds. This is not great podcast radio. Uh, MD, listening. I don't know. Um, uh, Nick Neen, no, no idea. Don't know. Nick Neen, no. Gor, uh, Philip King Scott. Can it, you? Are they something to do with Dornock or something like they that? They are to do with door knockers. Uh, Dornock, yes. Oh, it's a yes. Dornock distillery. Yes. Uh, that's three two. You're, you're oh, in no. class, oh. and it's back to you. It's back to Philip. Philip um, Hendrix. Where is Hendrix Gin distilled at? What distillery in Scotland? Gosh, I mean, I know it's in Girvan. Is it called? That will Girvan do. Distillery? It's Girvan. Yeah. That will do. Don't say more. <laughs> Girvan is another big, huge site. Um, do single malt there. They do single grain there. Elsa Bay. Elsa Bay for Bay. half a point. Well done. Uh, I make that. You're just giving yourself half points now. I make that three each. Any 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 um, Elsa Bay. Just some fact about Girvan. They've also um, got. There's one that's matured at the sea. One that's matured inland. Oh, Airstone. It, that's the one. Airstone. Yeah. I mean, you'll you'll know the name of the owner's massive alcohol company and it's suddenly escaped my head but Hendrix was really the gin that kick-started the modern gin kind of resurgence um, even though it's not a craft gin made on quite a big scale and it's not a London dry gin because they add cucumber and rose essence after distillation but it is still the gin that made everybody kind of look at gin afresh so um, my yeah. bedside lamps at home are Hendrix bottles I know that's quite sad <laughs> <laughs> And that's where oh, you know, okay. people like Edward Jin picked up, and that's when a huge, yeah, massive totally. yeah. market now. Gordon, it's just the way I've only got seven, so it's just the way it's worked out. Uh, this is the last question. It's three each. Good oh. attention, get any more? Yes, <laughs> oh. quite a lot more. But that's not to say that's not a bad quiz. Um, Gordon Dundas, the last question. Macker Jin. Isn't it my go? Nope. Oh, no, it isn't. Oh, sorry, sorry. I'm nope. just so keen to win. <laughs> it's Macken is Glasgow Distillery. It is. It is. It's named after the Scots Gaelic for Maker. Uh, and their still is called Annie. Well, I've got another one for Philip, which if he gets, okay. I'm happy to give it a draw. <laughs> okay, Gordon. All right. Karun Gin. Oh, I do know. Oh, I do know. You know the, up north and the oh, they're a re, they're a well known distillery. Oh, that's gosh. the best question when you know it, but you can't remember oh. it. Rather, you just don't know it. 
because they do one that's aged in a whiskey cask, and you're like, well, it's obviously one of yours. You drive um, past it on the way to Speyside. It's just past, um, oh, it's, I mean, it's not far <laughs> past sort of Boat of Garden sort of area. Sweet Village called Crumdale. It's not very I, far I, I, past. I'll kick in myself and say it. Yeah. But, Come oh, on, no. Does it begin with a G? No. No, no or a K? They usually do. Uh, Bal Blair is a, oh, is a guess. No, yeah. He's, that's too far no. north, nearly. Yeah. Um, Balmenich. Balmenich. Oh, yeah. Set the bar. So I think, that, I think, to be fair, that's a fair victory. I think that is, Gordon. You have taken it. The Whiskey Boys have taken yeah. it and you have hoisted the flag above the gin. But what it tells you yeah. uh, and us and hopefully people listening that how closely gin and whiskey are, right. are related with all these distilleries doing gins. Yeah, and there's no way. There's also the other thing which people forget is to make good gin, you need to know how to distill. To make good whiskey, you need to know how to distill. You can have all the other things in the great store. If you ultimately don't know how to distill or don't know how to infuse or... Um, macerate or slowly distill and you know from a whiskey perspective you're not going to make a good spirit so it's it's not as simple as a lot of people think it is that not fair philip yeah i mean the only difference between the two spirits really is time um yeah uh but the same amount of craft and skill goes into the exactly. making of them both yeah so well, if you've not tried it enriching Yes, brilliant. Listen, Philip, we'd love to get you back on, but we have to go away and celebrate this victory with uh, uh, lashings of single malt. Uh, Philip Kingscott, thank you very much. Thank you, Philip. Thank you, chaps. Bye. And indeed, thank you, Gordon. And uh, well, another episode has flown by. You're flushed with success. Yes. Well, I mean, I'm off to go and revel in my success. Um, No, great to Philip on, and uh, what a what a great episode. We've covered a lot of ground as ever. Yep, thanks to Jason, uh, thanks to Philip and Gordon, amazing amount of knowledge here, hope you all enjoyed it, and please get in touch on the Facebook page, uh, Whiskey Unscripted, that's a good way of getting in touch with us, but until then Gordon, I'll raise my glass to you and say well done. Thank you very much, and uh, I'm not good at cigar, but slander. <laughs> Cheers.